I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. What's up, everybody? And good friend, Mike Minkoff. Hey, guys. I uh, just got back from packing the last of uh, a couple of outgoing Celtics bags. I won't say their names, but um, they're in German. Yeah, we're doing a special weekend podcast here because we want to give our reactions to the trade deadline. Uh, we did see the Denver game, so we got to see Derek White's first game with the Celtics, so we can use that as uh, with, for, as some data for how things are going. But first, Josh, let me throw it to you, your reaction to the trade deadline. Yeah, I love the new guys that we got, but I, I'm kind of still questioning why we still have a starting lineup of Robin Williams, Al Roker, Jalen Tatum, Jason Brown, and Marcus Smart. I just, wow. like, why are we still, why is Al still starting? <laughs> That's the joke that you wanted us to throw to you. For. <laughs> That's the joke. That's the joke I wanted to make today. But Mike's Robin better. Robin Williams that was a good one. and Al Roker. Oh boy, <laughs> Roker. Mike, I like what I said. Mark is smart. I like that you uh, you said I won't tell you, but they're in German. <laughs> that that was a good one. I like that. One. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I don't even know what, what am I supposed. To, how am I supposed to follow that? That Derek awesome, White. That, Go. That, that resounding. Okay, so. <laughs> Uh, the short story is I easily would give, will give Brad Stevens an A plus for this deadline. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to go item by item on the things that I know people have been critical about, about this trade first, uh, or shortly, but first I'll just say Derek White is the perfect compliment, um, uh, to, to the Celtics team. I think. People are getting way too caught up in what he's, he's an average shooter. He's not like a spectacular shooter, but he is one of the things that I've been thinking for a while that, that challenges this team. And I think will remain a challenge, particularly for Jalen Brown is the, the speed at which our core players process the game. And Derek white is one of those players that has elite, processing speed when he is analyzing what's going on on the court and making decisions and 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 about what to do whether it's attack the paint whether it's move the ball to the next guy certainly the way he plays on defense marcus smart has elite processing speed horford does uh robert williams does so we're bringing in another elite 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 kind of high iq teammate um that just happens to be one of the you know, best perimeter defenders that we're putting next to one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. Um, it It is, so when people are talking about like a lack of shooting, they're overlooking the fact that we are going to generate so many points off of turnovers and discourage so many teams and disrupt like what so much of what teams are going to be trying to do that that's going to enable us to, kind of overwhelm them on offense even though yes we're still i would say uh, you know an at best kind of on the 
outer edge of a top 10 offense. Like I, I don't see us getting into the top 10 offense conversation, um, but getting a guy like Derek White is perfect. So Derek White I've, fits really, really well. I completely agree. I, what, what did, I forget the language Brad Stevens kept using in the press conference. Accentuate. Yeah, accentuate. He accentuates the best players on the team. I completely agree. He supports what they're doing. And, and I like that uh, that Brad Stevens is, is putting a team together that fits into a system. The players work really well together. It's not let's try and find the best talent available and then the, it's the coach's job to make them fit. He wants players that work really well together. And Derek White is a really high-level role player who does all, almost all of the things that you want him to do at a high level in a way that works really well for this team, I think. Josh, how do you see White's fit on the team, on the floor? I love White's fit on the team. I think anybody who is interested in Jalen Brunson at the deadline or anyone who's been clamoring for Malcolm Brogdon over the last couple of years should really like Derek White. Um, I wanted to, I mean, I got a bunch of random stats. Like, it seems like he's been in some big games. And so I actually wanted to take a look back and, t- and, and see. Like, obviously, he was with Tatum and Brown and Smart and Kemba on the World Cup team in 2019. Uh, he got more playing time than he should have in that because Pop was the coach. But he was tied for the team leader in steals uh, throughout that tournament. I think it was 12 games. He was two for 12 from three. Um, but here's his experience level. 2017, his rookie year, he barely played. 2018, he played, but only 18 minutes total in the first round loss to Golden State. Uh, and that's in five games, only 18 minutes total. 2019 was kind of his coming out party. The Spurs lost 4-3 in the first round to Denver. That was when um, White had 36 points in game three. And then he only had eight points the next game. Overall, he was the third leading scorer behind DeRozan and Aldridge with 15-3-3. and His shooting splits were 55% from field goal. 30% from three and 73% from the line. That was his age 24 season. That was his biggest moment. So he's a career 34% from three, 32% this year. His field goal percentage has kind of slowly dipped the last four years in a row until this year, but his free throw percentage has risen like to the high eighties. Um, so statistically, I think he's a perfect six man type. He's a great team player. I love his size at six, four, six, five. Like he's one of those guards who's willing to come over from the weak side and try to block a shot. Like he's going to try to dunk things around the rim instead of just laying it up. Um, And he's just the, I think the optimal kind of team glue guy type, um, especially alongside Marcus Smart, you know, his assists. Just real quick. I believe among guards, he's the leading guard in blocks in the NBA. Like he among, among, I believe so. He's, he's like, Certainly top two or three. He's a good he's, rim yeah. defender. He's a really good. And, yeah, 0.7 or 0.9 blocks and steals per game. Like, so he's around one per game of each of those. You know, most guards are going to give you one to two steals and no blocks. Um, Smart is like a, an example of that. But the 5.6 assists with 1.8 turnovers is, is really good. That's throughout, you know, he's, he's always been a low turnover guy throughout his career. Um, so I just love how he takes care of the ball. Um, he's shown that he can play next to other point guards with DeJounte Murray. Um, and I think his story is really interesting. He was an older draft pick for San Antonio in 2017, 22, 23 year old senior, um, same draft as Tatum. He was at the, at D2 Colorado Springs, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, uh, his first three years. So through his junior year in college. 
and his stats were good. They were winning. So he transferred to UC Boulder, which obviously is D1. They play in the Pac-12. And he sat out his redshirt year. And then he played and shot 30, uh, 40% from three his senior year in college. And obviously he got noticed, got picked like 29th, I think. Um, he is one of two players in Colorado history, the University of Colorado, to have four 30-point games in one season. Both are former Celtics or Celtics. Derek White is one. Who's the other? Billups. University of Colorado. Chauncey Billups. Ding, 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 ding. So I just, you know, he, he started D2, started from the bottom, and all of a sudden he's having 36 points in, you know, game three of the first round of the playoffs in the Western Conference. So, you know, he's been in some big moments. Obviously the move from Popovich is is a cultural thing for us. Like it's a perfect fit for the Celtics. Um I think if someone gets injured, he can he can step into the starting lineup. And I actually think that he should be starting over Horford. So I really wanted a perimeter length switchable ball mover glue guy. That was ideal. This is like the next best thing. So I'm with Mike. I give Brad Stevens an A+. Uh, we're going to come back to this grading because I completely disagree with the A-plus grading. But, but I want to keep I, I'm not about, surprised. I, uh, go ahead, Adam. I want to keep talking about his, his fit. Mike, it sounded like you had a, a number of other things you wanted to say. Well, I, I do, um, though, though some of them are some of them are going to preempt some of your attacks, which I, I just think are misguided attacks. What, what I've heard of, of kind of the critiques of the trade, I just disagree with, frankly. Um, so the main critiques I've heard of the trade, the biggest one is around the the light protection on the, the 2028 pick swap. Um, I would actually the, can I the, can I make that argument? Um Sure. I mean, my, my issue with this with this trade, I, I like this trade a lot. I really like Derek White. I think he's what this team needed. Obviously, we were not able to get a third superstar, which is what this team really needs. Uh, but that is a really difficult I, thing to get. I disagree with that assertion, to be okay. fair. Uh, well, in order to win the championship, I would say that, that we need another superstar. Um, but that is next to impossible to get. So uh, besides that, this is the kind of thing that we needed. Uh, the price we paid was high. The pick, I mean, Romeo Langford, say what you will about him. I'm guessing his value was pretty low around the league. Uh, Josh Richardson, he played really well for this team. And there's a lot of people out there that feel like Derek White is kind of a step up on Richardson, but not a huge one. Uh, and Disagree. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I, I disagree. I, also, I think we slept high on Richardson. We can, we'll we'll come back to Richardson. <laughs> yeah, um, but then the, it's the picks. So the pick this this coming year only has top four protection on it. Even if you think that that it's unlikely that we're going to get into the lottery, you have to mitigate risk. What if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown get injured? You're saying that you're going to give them the number five pick if we slide heavily here. I think that is a um, a short-sighted and um, and and almost thoughtless way of going about trading draft picks, uh, and then the, the fact that we give away a 2028 pick, which is six years out, and you know I've I've heard a number of different things from, well, it's so far into the future, uh, to it's it's you know it could go our way, it could go their way, to if if that's a really high lottery pick then we have bigger problems. It doesn't matter. Your job as the executive is to protect against 
risk. The fa- sending out these light protection, these picks with light protections, and I get that it's number one protected that twenty twenty eight pick. That's not good enough. Those are really high value picks, including because of the light protections, especially twenty twenty eight. You don't know what this team is going to look like six years from now, and who Brad Stevens might not even be with the team at that point. But you okay. still have a responsibility to mitigate against risk, to protect against that. And if that is going to dramatically change the value of the picks for the Spurs, um, then then I, I think that, that that that's a whole other conversation that you you then have to have. So okay, can I can I yeah. now do my non preempted but a counter of the <laughs> arguments? Um, wait, 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 real but, quick question about but, what Adam just said. Is that okay? Okay, it, very Adam, quick. Is your is your issue with the protections <laughs> on the picks? The protection I, is the issue. Look, I was like it should have been I felt like, protected. I felt like this trade when it, this trade first came out, I saw it without the pick swap in 2028. So it was a number 2022 number one, uh, Romeo and Richardson, and I thought that feels like a fair trade for both sides. Uh, and, and that's with top four protection on the 2022 pick. When you throw in the pick swap in 2028, that feels like more than we should have given up for, for Derek White. It's the kind of thing where clearly San Antonio was not trying to trade Derek White. They were not trying to get off of him. They like him. He signed for right. three more years after this year. They clearly felt like they needed to be bowled over in order to trade him. And that's what we did. And I think so, you, you got to put protections on that pick. Okay. Go, Mike. So... There are, I'm, I'm going to try, if you, if you guys can give me a minute, because there's like a number of things I want to try to counter here. <laughs> um, the first is, you you said, as, your job as the executive is to mitigate risk, and I that is not the job of the ex- executive. In, in this period. trade? No, 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 period. In, in this trade, or generally, that's not the job of the, the job of the executive is to take calculated risks within a vision that they believe is going to execute the full potential of the organization that they're leading. And I believe Brad Stevens fully did that here because I, yes, there is risk. You can't do a trade without risk and you can't get a player you think is a, is a really, really perfect fit without giving up something of value and, and making yeah. one of those risks. Yeah. And that is what Brad Stevens did. And I agree with the risks that he took uh, as far as the 2022 pick specifically. Yeah, let's talk I think about it's that. highly unlikely Yep. Highly unlikely that it will be top five protected. It, like a, a that'll be in the, the five or, or lottery. Yes. Yep. And I think that's based on the performance of the team of late and the fact that you're bringing in a player that's going to fit seamlessly. So we all agree that his on court fit. Wait, wait, wait. Nope. I'm not done. <laughs> no, can we talk about that 2022 pick more? Let me ask you a question about that. Okay. If, if you think it's highly unlikely that that is going to be a lottery pick, and I'm guessing mm-hmm. that's how San Antonio felt, that's probably how the Celtics feel. What's the downside in putting a top 10 or top 12 or even top 14 protection on that pick? That maybe that wasn't available. Maybe that's simply well, you're like, saying the value is that high to San Antonio that they needed minimal protection on that pick. The difference between top four protection and top 12, I, 10 protection I, is dramatic. I don't know, for them? but do you think? I think it's presumptive to assume the Celtics didn't try to get the best deal they could have for themselves. It's possible they didn't. I it also does think, not appear I, to me wait, that wait, Brad wait, Stevens wait, wait, values wait. draft picks. I, I I hear you saying that. I don't think that's true. 
I, th I think you're saying that. I, I, I think it's true that you are saying that. <laughs> I don't think it's true about Brad Stevens at all. I'm sure he values him quite a lot. I think he really values an, uh, an elite, defensive, high IQ player that fits perfectly with a team that's been playing like the best team in the NBA for the last, um, you know, six weeks and is under reasonable cost control for three years going out. And there are other pieces here. That player also, yeah, he has some duplicity uh, or duplicativeness, I guess, with um, Marcus Smart that a nothing can change and i'd be very excited about this roster and then putting you know two like right fit uh mid to end of rotation players in this roster i mean they have al horford that's probably not going to be on the roster next year um but i have more to say about him, him and his value and his role on this team too but um they also acquiring a player like Derek Wright, white makes it possible they could either trade Derek white or marcus smart as part of a package for a, one of those stars going forward, um, because they're under cost control, because they're similar players that play similar roles in the ecosystem of this team. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility that this has afforded. Similarly with Daniel Tice, I know we're not talking about that trade yet. People have complained about his contract. He, he is able to do both things that Al Horford's able to do and Robert Williams. So he's on the court insurance this year. He's also, insurance for probably when we move on from Al Horford in the off season. Um, so can, can I think, I think these are, Mike? well, it, it's hard because when Adam is asserting, Adam is asserting that these are bad risks that need to be mitigated against. I need to explain why I, I think that's objectively false. Like, I just don't, I think they're risks, but I think they are risks that one should take if one really believes in the vision that they have for an organization. And I think there's a very clear and understandable and reasonable vision that's being pursued here. Um, and I'm okay with the risks that we took. I, so I, Adam, I, I, I've got, I, I, I've got a real problem with trading first round picks. Um, I didn't like the deal to get Horford to get off of Kemba by wasting the first round pick in last year's draft that, I thought was one of the deepest at the time. And there was, you know, players at our spot who I wanted to have and all that. Right. This has two first round picks in it that we're getting rid of that, you know, we're not getting rid of two. That's wildly false. It's a swap. Even if we it's do a, a pick swap. swap, we're still keeping that pick. We do. And it's more okay. like, it's just as likely as not, if not more likely than not, okay. that we will not so look, get rid of that, that that swap won't even happen. Exactly. Sorry, so look, we're, we're, I think that, I think both, I think both of you are only going to happen if we have a worse record than them. Otherwise right. there's no swap. Nothing happens. We just keep our right. pick. Right. So, but I think that, so that right there is like, I think over-focusing on that little detail. I think Adam's over-focusing on the little detail of the, the, how much protection was in it and, and making assumptions about that. To me, like the big deal of this is we got the best player in the trade. Not only, you know, that's obviously something you always want to do. Like, are you winning the trade? Yeah, if you, you get don't the best know player, that yet. Uh, I think it's. I think we know we're getting the best player who was moved. Besides should, should Brad the draft Stevens be? You don't know that. Should Brad Stevens be managing for the 2029 title or the 2023 and 2024 title, Adam? This is the kind. This is like Billy King still loses sleep over the trade with the Celtics where he gave up all those pick swaps. Like Jason Tatum was a pick swap. You, I'm not suggesting that that's what's going to happen here. I, as I said, I like the trade. I like Derek White. 
My issue is that it was a lot to give up. And I think like you pick swaps without protections like this do not get traded unless you're getting a superstar in return. That's when those kinds of picks get moved. Give me another example when a pick I, I like think, this was I traded think, for somebody. I think for, for me, a high, I think, for a I bench. Think, Mike, this guy's coming off the bench right now. Like I know, he's a high-level role player. I think that the difference between how you and I view this is I think the upside is a lot higher than people are thinking it is. I, I don't yeah. believe we need a third star. I believe that with this trade, we might be the favorites in the East next season. And if you look at 538, yeah. which is not you know, the be-all, end-all by any stretch, 538 has us with a 7, 16% chance of winning the finals now, just behind Milwaukee and the Suns. We have the best in the NBA full-strength rating, according to the, the 538 mo- Raptor model, of any team in the NBA, period, right now. Yeah, so, right now. A month yeah. ago, you felt completely differently. And we started playing dramatically differently. We And then we just added exactly the type of player I've been clamoring for yep. for yeah. years. So Who's defensive-minded. He's in his prime. He's under contract at a good rate. Like... He fits like, all. He ticks all the boxes. Yeah, I'm just. I'm only mad that I cohesion. didn't list him as one of the targets I was interested yeah, in. Right. That's my only frustration. I was like, why didn't I have him on my list? Because he's perfect. And the Spurs guys who've been really good with other teams in the last two years when they've left, you know, like th- this is a team that has been like ready for poaching for a long time. And Derek White was probably the last like player from that era, you know, at all really. Um, and and now he's gone now. So now they've gone super young. Um, I, I just, the results of this trade are going to be in the win columns, like for the team. This is a teamwork trade. This is a trade to increase the IQ of the role players on the team, the defensive ability of the entire team. Like this is, this is a, a, a move for a guy who you could say is a high level role player, but he, puts everybody into their spots and is going to be moving the ball. And like, he's increasing the, <laughs> he's increasing the ability for the Jays to take those mental leaps that they need to take because he's another guy who's got the pedigree and the IQ to, to surround those guys with an environment where everybody's thinking the same thing. So that, I mean, you don't need a ton of skill if you have that, like that's going to result in wins. Can I, can I give just a couple of kind of stats about Derek White? Um, his his defensive Raptor is plus 3.2. This is, again, 538's um, uh, kind of stat is Raptor. So his, his defensive Raptor is plus 3.2. Al Horford is plus 3.6, and he's in the top five in the NBA in Raptor. The other guys are, are Jared Allen, Matisse Teibel, Rudy Gobert is number one. Uh, Nikola Jokic actually is number two. But I think the the names on that list suggest you know this is not a wildly out of course. By contrast, um, Josh Richardson, who we just traded, his defensive Raptor was minus one point nine. Um, Derek White in total, kind of uh, Raptor wins above replacement player. He's like twentieth uh, or so in the league. Um, he is, in fact, 21st in the league, uh, right behind Marcus Smart in total wins above replacement. As far as overall Raptor, 
He's actually, I think, a little bit higher than that. No, he's uh, 24th, just a couple spots ahead of Marcus Smart. So he really is kind of a Marcus Smart clone. <laughs> um, they're they're very they have a lot of similarity. Uh, I just yeah. think we we basically again we have the we have a ton of the cogs of the team that the United States sent to the world championships a couple of years ago. Now that team didn't do great in those world <laughs> championships, <laughs> admittedly. And we don't have guys like Donovan Mitchell. Uh, but I mean, this is a really, really strong group we have. Uh, I am just super, super bullish on the potential without adding a third star, which I do not believe we're going to, we are, would need. I think we need, like now I want us to really get Harrison Barnes. I think Harrison Barnes would be perfect who incidentally I believe was also on that USA team. <laughs> um, but I uh, would be perfect in to slot in where Al Horford is. I don't know. Uh, you probably don't agree with that, Josh, cause I know you're not a huge Barnes fan, but um, that would be my ideal like guy to, to round out this roster. Let me yeah, ask he you. feels more like a lateral move, but it, uh, to me, I'm thinking more about like, is the environment right for our two stars to take another leap? So we don't need a third star. And I think the answer with this trade is yes. I agree. You don't think we need another star? No. no. I who how I think we would be objectively worse if we traded like Marcus Smart and Al Horford to get Bradley Beal. I would not. I that would make what makes this team special worse because what's special about this team is how un earthly good our defenses so you're trying and, to be the 2003 pistons yeah why not i think uh i mean I we mean, have two players except, on our except team we that, have an actual that, all nba level star we have two players on the team that they don't like they didn't have two guys like tatum and brown exactly no like, they don't they don't yeah so it's very different than that i mean i think you're trying to be a two-star team that's built around defense and and like team cohesion together. I feel I feel better about how our team is structured than the Philadelphia 76ers today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that necessarily. I, I like this team right now. I like this deal. I like this team. I I can't get past the the price that you paid for it. Like Ryan Bernardoni has makes a really good point when he says that it, it, it Brad Stevens is is trading draft picks like a coach who was turned into a GM or a coach slash GM, someone who's doing both roles but at I, the same time. I just think so that... I, I think I think that's, Adam, that's an interesting point that you're making of the, there's a trend of Brad Stevens potentially not valuing draft picks. I think that we need to keep an, our eye on that. Um, but, I, but I don't think like pick, the protections on these picks are are like the deal breaker for that. Mike, what were you going to say? Why not? That's exactly what I think. Uh, I, I think it's too small of a sample size. I think also that you can get draft picks from other uh, teams easily these days. People throw around draft picks more these days than they ever have in the NBA. So I think for Brad Stevens to be doing this in a vacuum, it's like, oh, yeah, he's throwing these draft picks away. But that's kind of what GMs do these days. Um, and I haven't seen a, a pick swap in a deal that wasn't for a star, but I also haven't seen a pick swap alone in a deal. It's always multiple first round picks plus pick swaps. Let me ask you guys this. What do you think is the marketplace for Marcus Smart? Other teams, when they call the Celtics for Marcus Smart, what are they offering? 
Are you um, asking if we could get a pick swap and a first round pick for him? What my understanding is is that that when other teams call, they they uh, are offering a, a role player, a good role player, um, at slightly lower than Marcus and a and a first round pick. And they think well, that, that, so Malik, that's going to start the the conversation. Go ahead. Malik Beasley, by contrast, is a is a better player, at least on the court, uh, than Josh Richardson by quite a bit. Uh huh. Like we didn't give up a lot as far as NBA talent. In the, the, the rumor was Malik Beasley and a first. No, I'm saying, smart. but I'm saying in the trade, you're like you're you're like Josh Richardson was good for us. I I was yep. super reluctant to get rid of him until. I've heard who we were exchanging him for. And I was like, yeah. Oh, that couldn't be better. But like Josh Richardson is not a particularly valuable, like he's a journeyman. Player. He's bouncing around. Yeah. Um, so if you're talking about, so like getting a, if you exchange Marcus smart for someone like Malik Beasley, we, I mean, first of all, we have no idea what the offers are. They're, been like one or two rumors that seem to have some verity and obviously they didn't happen so who knows who was saying that that's what they were offering who knows if who was saying what the celtics were seeking like where which side that was coming from and how close it was to the truth like i don't know but to me i just want to go back a few steps on the um my, my point the is, argument my point wait, 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 is, no, i, no, no, I, I want to go back first the 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 argument that you were making about coaches and that Ryan Bernardoni has made about coaches like Brad Steven GMing like a coach. I just think that's wrong. Like, I think you're, frankly, I think you are overvaluing what this 2028 pick swap. I don't, I don't think it's a zero like percent probability, but I also think it's okay to take risk like that where this is not the same as the Billy King thing. We might, we might, it could go all wrong. It's a, it's a risk. It's an understood risk. Um, I think it's an appropriate risk because I trust much more in the current model that we have as far as building this team than that Nets ownership and management structure that in, involved Prokhorov and Billy King. Um, two, I think it's completely underselling how much we opened up as far as we still have a ton of flexibility if we do decide based on the, how this rest of the season goes and the postseason goes that we need a third star we have our first round picks in the upcoming years and we have marcus smart and we have al horford that's a pretty compelling package i think around which you could you could pursue another star so and and that is made much easier to do by virtue of having Derek white who is basically maybe like a marcus smart clone or you could trade Derek Waite instead of Marcus Smart. Either way, you have optionality there, and either of them can be kind of anchors in that type of trade, I think, in a way that um, we otherwise wouldn't really be able to make that type of move. So I, I think we're discounting that. So like there are there were costs, but I get my question to you is if those if if I feel like there's kind of two parts of this. One is I think Danny Ainge had a pretty well-known reputation by the time he left Boston of being a pain in the, you know what to work with. And I think it's because he haggled over things like these trip uh, pick protections to the point where people just got sick of dealing with him. I'm serious. No, this is serious. Yeah. And, and it wasn't and haggling over pick protections. It he was, was like, haggling. You don't it know, was the it, fact it, that he was saying, 
he was asking for everything for players that didn't deserve it. He was trying to like not just win every deal, but completely decimate the other side. I in think every it deal. was all of the above. So, so it was hard honest. to start start conversations I think it was with all him. Of the above. And are... and number two, it was that he would the deal would be complete, and then he'd go, oh, and one more thing. I also want this other thing. Oh, and one more thing. I, I think the, it's all having, of the above. Having pick protections is not an annoying thing for a general manager no, to ask. We for. have pick protections. Haggling endlessly. The, you're talking only, about the number one pick in 2028. You're, that's that's a pick protection, really. You're talking uh, the top four protection that's on the 2022 pick. They like this is 1990s GMing that we're doing here with with those protections. If that's what you're talking about, I I guess ultimately to me, we gave up one pick. I think it's highly unlikely that it will be a lottery pick this year. I think it's at at worst anybody's guess that we will um, whether we will actually have to that that pick swap will actually be executed in 2028 because we are uh, in recent years in the last handful of years we certainly have a better track record than San Antonio we're in a market that's probably more favorable than San Antonio's for attracting talent we have two young all nba players they could leave it could all fall apart um but even if it if they do both leave at their next contracts we'd still have a couple of years to not be a total bottom feeder but it could it could all disastrously plummet but then you're you're protecting against like the worst case scenario players uh, brown and tatum deciding to leave in free agency or injuries i think things that are unlikely to happen but that do happen yeah but but here but if San Antonio, so I personally believe this move notably improved our chances of winning a title in the next few years. I personally believe that. And so if San Antonio said this is the only deal we'll make to do that, I would be okay with it. And you don't get to always get the deal in the way you want it. Sometimes you get to get the deal that you have and you have to pick whether you want it or not. I think it was the right decision to pick this deal. If prior to this trade, the Celtics had received a trade package like this for Marcus Smart instead of just like the Michael Beasley and a first thing, which I think is what a lot of other teams thought they could start the conversation with and didn't come close to how the Celtics. Yeah, thank you. Uh, It didn't come close to how the Celtics valued Marcus Smart. I I think if they actually got a deal with with a pick swap like this, uh, that they would have to seriously consider it. Uh, Like it's again right, but they wouldn't have definitely done it, would they have? I think and if they were in a place a where trade. they were, I, I think if 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 they had not gone on this winning streak, I think they would have done that deal. Yes, they probably would have if they weren't hadn't, but they had, did go so on the winning streak. Two weeks the, should not shift. It's not two weeks. <laughs> it's six. It's six weeks, first of all, and the the question was whether the team could start to actually fit together and play kind of collective team ball, and they have for a very consistent stretch. And the team, the 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 key players are all demonstrating exactly what you need them to demonstrate for a, a sustained period of time. I, I th- So you, what do you think the chances of the Celtics winning a championship are? Because I, my sense was they went from a third-tier team to a second-tier team with this move. I still don't I, see them as a right. championship contender. That's right. This year, but they I, have an envi- I think... But they have an environment where they can go from the second-tier team to a first-tier team in the future with growth of in, you know, with internal growth. I That's agree what you're banking that. on I, with this. 
I also no matter how you slice that, it, you're banking on internal growth with this team. And that or you're looks trading like, Brown or Tatum. And that growth looks like Tatum becoming a top ten player, uh, Brown becoming yeah. a top twenty player, and probably Robert yeah. Williams Robert becoming Williams a top becoming thirty a top player. thirty-five. Yeah. yeah, which all seem yeah. extremely possible. Yeah, I'm, I mean, uh, look, 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 look. In a playoff series this year, you're going to see national media jump on the Rob Williams bandwagon. He's going to go up against other centers in the playoffs this year, and he's going to have some epic performances where you're like, oh, man, he had 15 points, 20 rebounds, five blocks in this game. Like, I mean, that's basically what he had last night dude. against Jokic. He had 15, mm-hmm. 16, exactly. and three blocks against Jokic last night. Right. And is... so does that, mean he, like, I, does that mean he's going to be a top 30 player in the NBA or 30? I don't think so. But I think in stretches, in games that matter, he's going to get national attention and that's all that we're going to need to like have extra motivation, uh, you know, internally for these kinds of mental leaps that need to happen. I mean, I, I still, I mean, I see the game and I value players just differently as well. Like, I think as far as on court actual impact and value, um, I would say Marcus Smart and Derek White are probably more valuable than Jalen Brown. I know, I know no one agrees with me. I don't care. Like they do more winning stuff consistently. Jalen Brown makes a lot of mistakes. He's still not a great off ball defender. He's a great scorer. He's an elite, elite scorer. Uh, and everything else he's okay at, frankly. <laughs> like he's a pretty good on, on ball defender. Um, sometimes extremely good on ball defender, especially against like guys a little bigger than him. Um, but we, but weak side, he's only solid. We, weak side, uh, you're being generous if you call him solid sometimes, uh, <laughs> some days. Um, and he's, you know, he's he struggles in this type of really quick decision making type uh, system. Like, you know, he often drives into the lane without a plan. He still turns the ball over a lot. You know, I, but that's fine. Like, we can call him our second star. I don't care. Like, the team is built to allow that to be the structure. And I think. You know he's going to be given opportunities to grow, and I think he'll get better. So I'm good with all of that. Um, but I think your my my main point of that is I think you're undervaluing like the the how much guys like Smart and and White are going to add consistently. Um, to answer your earlier question, I agree they're second tier. I also don't think there's a team in the East that we couldn't take to a, at least seven to seven games in a series. I'm not saying we there definitely are will. No- there are no first-tier teams in the Eastern Conference. There you don't think Milwaukee two. is one? No. I think I think Milwaukee I mean, and Philly, I think Milwaukee and Philly are our toughest matchups by virtue just yeah. of them having giant people that are tough to cover. Um, Brooklyn is uh, next because of Durant, and if he gets going, like I don't think there's anyone that can really stop him. Um, but like I I think we can play every team in the East. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we beat any team in the East in a playoff series. I wouldn't put us as a favorite in a lot of those, but I also don't think, I, I think we're in the conversation in any series this year. And I think Tatum and Brown are going to continue to grow and improve as kind of the guys and like the, the, um, the source of the main sources of gravity in the solar system of our of our offense um, over the next two years. And I, I think we're in a really favorable place over the next couple of years. This is yeah, by the, far the most bullish I've been about a Celtics championship chance in years. The, this is clearly a move that was made for now and for the next three years. 
Like there was a window. If you're a fan right. who's been wanting the Celtics to decide, either play the young guys or trade them for for older guys, or like decide what route you're going in, this is a decision that that Stevens has made. They, they have a core uh, on this team that that Derek White is now a part of. That I would say includes uh, the the Jays and Marcus Smart and Robert Williams. Um, that's their core. That these guys are are on the team for the next uh, three years after this one. And, and this is the window uh, for them to, to really make a run here. And I agree with you guys that in order to be a real title contender, they have to have development from within. But most of the time, you're not winning a championship unless you have three superstars. Especially, I don't, in I don't think that's true. I, I don't think that's true. Yeah, the two superstar teams are winning, are winning championships too. Or you've got a one superstar and two borderline I, yeah, superstars. I think, like, I mean, like Milwaukee. Yeah, like I, I don't think, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the difference is bigger than I give it credit for. But I think like someone, Rob Williams can be as impactful as a Drew Holiday, or maybe a, a Chris Middleton. In, in it's in different ways, but he's extremely impactful. I think. Or a I Draymond Marcus, Green. I think what? Marcus Smart and. Or a Draymond um, Green. Yeah. I think I think I think in Marcus Smart. If you and had said Derek Wright are, I would are much better um, other other kind of main cogs in the rotation than who Milwaukee had. You know, Marcus Smart and Derek yeah. White are much better than like PJ Tucker and um, what's his name? The Portis and Connaughton and Grayson Allen. You know, like, so yeah, I, I, I think... I think we are very much in the conversation in a way that we weren't. And I think in a way that's really important when you're talking about, I was worried a month and a half ago, two months ago about if we were going to continue, you know, taking a middling path and being a middling team, Jalen Brown's going to get to the off season and want to leave, which yep. then there were reports from Steve Bullpit about and heavy. Yep. Um, so this tells this me, this this tells me that we have a much greater chance of kind of continuing to build something in a really healthy ecosystem that's going to want to that that's going to make our core guys want to stay here and that's really important too that right there limits the risk when you're creating a healthy ecosystem where you're making a trade and and getting into a risky situation for this type of health like teamwork together like this is that's why you would that mitigates risk right there to me yeah, like if we did this for a guy like Malik Beasley, I would be apoplectic. But to do it for or a guy Michael like Michael Beasley, White, <laughs> well, that would just yeah. Uh, but to do it for a guy like Derek White, he's just you know Brad's Brad's obsession with the word accentuate in in his press conference made a lot of sense to me. I think I, I don't I don't think there's a a better fit. Like the only thing you could ask for from Derek White that he doesn't have would be like being forty percent from outside. So um, let me ask about that. Like Josh, in a, a playoff series, uh, is the other team not going to just sag off of Marcus Smart and Derek White and let them beat them from three? Um, I mean, that is possible. I think that the answer to that is sometimes Marcus Smart gets hot. He's the team leader in threes in a game in the history of the Celtics. Like, so he's a he's a guy that like yeah you probably want to sag off of him but he's going to hit five or six threes or eleven in a game if he needs to and I think Derek White has proven that 
he's a little bit better of a three-point shooter than Marcus Smart is if you look at the percentages throughout their careers. So um, I think he's got that going for him. You know, um, he's been really bad at certain moments. He's obviously been really good at certain moments too, like last night or like in college um, or a couple of seasons ago. And I mean, yeah, that's how the other team, that's the scouting report on them, right? That is their weaknesses. Uh, am I enjoying going into that playoff series with them and those weaknesses? Hell yeah. Like I'm, I'm all about those two guys and everything else that they do on the court, making up for the fact mm-hmm. that they can't shoot. And Mike, yeah, like if you go ahead, uh, well, I was just going to say, if you like, so for, I agree with Josh, the first parts of, of Josh's answer. I mean, uh, my, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question, Adam was like, Marcus smart is a gamer. And so is Derek white, right? Like it's like, I would have to actually look at the stats, but they're the type of guys that I would believe whether true or not are going to shoot better in big games than they do in general situations. Cause that's kind of, well, their, and their, they're smart enough to know not to shoot if they yeah. shouldn't be. And that was the other thing like, I was going to say, like if you throw a zone against us with those guys, like white Derek white not. is going to get into the heart of the mm-hmm. zone and make quick passes. Yeah. He's, he's going to be actually like an even better version of what Gordon Hayward brought in those situations. Cause white is a little quicker. He's a little quicker into the paint. He's a little quicker off the ball. I mean, Gordon Hayward was very, very good in those situations. So I don't want to discredit him there, but um, I think Derek white, and we saw some of this in the Denver game uh, uh, Friday night, like white making just some, extremely quick, you know, keep the ball moving decisions in a zone, out of a zone. Um, So I'm, you know, yes, opposing defenses will invite that. But again, I think we're going to be generating a lot of offense off of transition uh, and turnovers that we're generating. Um, We're going to be, White is going to be able to get into the defense and and out of through the pick and roll he's in I looked it up he's in like the 73rd percentile as a as a pick and roll ball handler um which is not something we've had a lot of uh (laughs) great pick and roll ball handlers here uh of late so you know I just think it'll he he just adds so much that just as Josh said you accept a little bit of the weakness on the three-point shot because of everything else these guys bring We've been talking all year and longer about how this team needs more grit. You need more guys like Marcus Smart, not less. And we got another Marcus Smart. Uh, We now have eight guys that you can trust in a playoff series with Derek White in the fold now, Al Horford, who we haven't talked about yet, Grant Williams, and Daniel Tice, who we also got at the trade deadline. Uh, I think unless you were a huge fan of Dennis Schroeder uh, and his drives to the basket, (laughs) which are not necessarily a, a part of the offense, uh, uh, unless you're a huge fan of his, this is a great trade. I, I love this trade. Yeah, I've heard a couple of different outlets like talk about it as a, a bad move for the Celtics just because of the money that that Tice is obligated um, or obligated to Tice over the next few years. But yeah, I couldn't. I was, you know, we got rid of Ennis Freedom, we got rid of Dennis Schroeder, we got rid of Bruno Fernandez, guys that. Uh, either didn't play or we didn't want them to play. Um, And we brought back a guy that knows this team that we know can do the things Horford does and Williams does to a degree. Um, So he can spell both of them. And then he can also be insurance if either of them gets injured. And then, like I said earlier, I think he's going to make it much, much easier for us to swallow 
um, and and move on from Al Horford this offseason, whether that's because we don't pick up his option, freeing up some some salary that way, or because we're, we, we're able to move him in a trade for p- perhaps another star or, or a key cog to this roster. So um, at acquiring Tice accomplished a lot of valuable things for us all in one. It did obligate us to more money, but I think it's well worth it. Yeah, it was weird that we didn't want to pay Al Horford, and so he left and signed a bigger deal. And then we didn't want to pay Daniel Tice, and so he left and signed a bigger deal. And now all of a sudden we got both of those guys, too expensive uh, Horford and too expensive Tice, right back in the fold. Now they're just perfect the perfect amount of expensive. Like That's, that's the weird part for me. But I love Daniel Tice's game. I don't mind the main criticism of him that he doesn't like react or retaliate when he gets pummeled to the ground or kneed in the balls or like, you know, all the contact he takes, all that I care about is that he's in the right position and, you know, willing to take the contact like he does. And if he doesn't react, I'm cool with that. Like just be in position every time. Like he, he usually is, you know, I think he's the perfect um, guy to fill that, you know, backup, backup big man spot. The guy we don't really want to see on the court, but when we do, it's not as frustrating as it is when we see, Ennis Cantor Freedom or others that we've had in the past. And hopefully he gives Al Horford a rest because, you know, he is better when he has rest. Hopefully he gives Rob Williams some rest because he has been injury prone in his career. And for us to reach the heights that we want to get to, he needs to stay healthy. So, Adam, what grade would you have given the Celtics front office for this deadline, given that I, I came out hot with my A plus right off the top? Um, I think the... I would have given them probably a B plus for the white trade. I, I, and again, I like, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm surprised. I feel like I've been having to argue this pick swap thing because I think it's important. And I think a good GM mitigates that risk and doesn't have to, to trade a, a, a pick like the 2028 one for uh, a high level role player. Um, but, but uh, I, I really like these moves. I, I like this team. They chose a direction. They, um, it feels like, the coaching staff and the front office are aligned on a style of play and a type of player that fits within that style. And they are, they are putting that team together and they are prioritizing things like continuity um, and, and intelligence on court intelligence that I think are um, surprisingly often overlooked by other teams. Um, And so if you're going to win with two uh, superstars, then this is the way that you have to do it. And I, I like I like that. There are some tendencies that I'm seeing that keep it at a B plus uh, of, of Stevens. I mean, even even getting Daniel Tice again, it's it's a little like, okay, you're getting the guy you know and like, but it doesn't sound like there's a ton of value, a ton of other teams interested in Daniel Tice uh, or, you know, like signing, <laughs> bringing Luke Cornette back. It's like nobody else really wanted that guy. Well, that was, I mean, getting Luke Cornette back, we had five open roster spots. We literally had to sign two oh, yeah. guys oh, before the game on Friday. Yeah. So I wouldn't, uh, uh, I'm fine with that. I, under, I'm fine I with understand Hauser. the argument on Tice. I just, I don't think, I don't think extending it to Cornette is quite fair. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, whether I, I like the Daniel Tice move, but it's a lower level move. So whether, I don't know, B plus a minus overall for, for this deadline. Um, I, you, you mentioned something about the alignment of the front office, uh, and coach as far as kind of style of play and, and, uh, Dan Greenberg on Twitter at stool greeny had a, a brilliant tweet. Uh, I can't, can't find the exact one tweet, but 
in effect, it was one thing this um, trade deadline made abundantly clear is that <laughs> Brad Stevens hated every move Danny Ainge made for the last few <laughs> years, <laughs> which yep. I think I agree fully with. Um, he has undone a lot of Danny's decisions from the last couple of years and uh, very clearly, I think, is putting together exactly the team he wished he had gotten to coach uh, instead of you know, dealing with a three whatever number 14 picks that were clearly immature and not ready not ready to perform at a high level think about the relationship bond that is now formed between Ime Odoka and Brad Stevens and how thankful Ime is that Brad made this move in particular yeah yep. you know like just that too um I think has to be counted into your grading Adam yeah um, I think there's there's more there's a lot more to being in that seat than the risk mitigation and then that trying to extract blood out of a stone in every deal and i think danny was became worse at his job because he leaned too far in those directions in his in, in recent years yeah and i'm not suggesting that that's the only job that they have but it, it's you still have to mitigate that risk <laughs> uh, yeah I, I just, this was Agree a lot to disagree to this on, was too much. on the oh, valuation okay. there. I have an important question for you guys. Um, would you take back Semi Ojale as a buyout guy? Under literally no circumstance. No, you wouldn't. No. Yeah, I don't okay. think so. We have enough uh, bigs. I couldn't stomach the thought of, because there's been enough between Brad and then Ime earlier this year, there's been enough of playing veterans with a consistency and rotations that doesn't quite make sense to me, probably because of them being really hardworking and dutiful behind closed doors, that it would present the risk of Shemi becoming a core nine man rotation member in the playoffs. And I couldn't bear to stomach that again with all due respect to Shemi, but I just don't want him to be part of my favorite team's playoff rotation. Just well, for irony's I, sake, Ime Odoka would probably expand his rotation from eight to nine just to fit some right. in. Well, I was going to come up with a list of potential buyout guys, but Hoops Hype did that for me. So here are the guys on their list. Dragic, Gary Harris, Eric Bledsoe, Dennis Schroeder, Robin Lopez, Tristan Thompson, DJ Augustine, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Tomas Sadoransky, Ben McLemore, Rodney Hood, Semi Ojale. Paul Millsap. I think that's a pretty good list. And yeah. from that list, we would have to choose from the not the top of the list. You know, there's some familiar Are we sure? names there. I, w- I would I like Gary so. Harris. I would like Gary Harris. If... Yeah, I would like Goran Dragic. <laughs> He's not good. I yeah, I, yeah, those guys. Well, I, I actually don't think Dragic makes sense anymore. Per- personally, like Why? I, I, I think we have enough primary ball handlers, and he's not as effective off ball. Um, I, I'd rather a guy like Harris. That's what he's shooting like 38 39 percent from three he's a solid defender i think he is this year yeah wow um i double check but i i I believe so because that's Um, been his issue the last few years he's yeah he's been up and down and he had a couple of years where he just kind of forgot how to shoot um but he is shooting i mean yeah i I like Dragic a lot 38.6 percent this year okay Dragic, I, I like a lot, but I, I'm expecting him to go to Dallas to play with Luca. Yeah, the guy I was thinking about um, at the bottom of this list is Ben McLemore. I think he's somebody who, just to have another dead eye shooter, 
I think that would I think, be a good a good pickup. I think he he would make some sense. I mean, again, I'm I'm just never high on truly one dimensional guys. Um, and Ben McLemore is truly one dimensional. Like he doesn't really play defense. Um, like he, I mean, he wasn't he on the Lakers, and they have no guards, and they still didn't play him in their rotation, and they're 26 and 30. Like, you know, I I would be more comfortable almost just sticking with an eight man rotation and, you know, converting some of our guys in Maine into two ways. And I don't know, then bringing yeah. in like real dreggy type buyout guys. But I, I do think we could offer like a real, a real rotation role to someone like Gary Harris. Um, the, o- the only issue there I see is when you get into kind of getting buyout guys and you promise them roles, if they're not performing, right. I think that puts coaches in really tough situations. Um, and because, that's another thing that this yeah. trade created was the, you know, the guys at the end of the bench expect to be at the end of the bench. We don't have guys. This is the first time I think, you know, in like a lot, you know, maybe seven years when we didn't have guys at the end of the bench expecting a bigger role or thinking they deserve more. You know, I don't think Neesmith thinks he deserves more. <laughs> He'll get his chance, but he hasn't really proven it in the minutes he's gotten so far. Yep. Yep. Do you think Neesmith and Pritchard actually get a chance now? Well, Pritchard played against Denver, yeah. uh, so I, I think it depends on the buyout market. Uh, I, my guess is that the the coaching staff and the front office would prefer to get a guy like a Gary Harris or a Drogic if he ends up being available over um, fully relying on Pritchard and Neesmith for for a heavier load. But they're going to present otherwise unless and until they actually get that that person. Um, because you know Gary Harris comes in and he's instantly better than both of those guys and he's going to be able to contribute more reliably in a in a intense playoffs setting than either of them. What do you think Josh? Yeah, I agree. Josh, what is your final offseason grade or deadline date grade? Uh, a plus. A plus. So we got yeah. two A pluses and a B plus A minus. Adams uh Adams a tough grader and uh I, I understand what you're arguing, Adam. I just just feel differently about about your your areas of concern. Yeah. And and I you know I think I think really what we're saying here is that we are on a very similar page in terms of the impact of of this deadline, the way that it improved the team, the direction and vision that they're going in, and uh, I think we're all all three of us are pretty optimistic about this team going forward. I am I am super bullish. I think it's going to be a fun remainder of this season, and then I think the next couple of years we have we have a real uh, pathway to being back in contention. I'm certainly excited again to watch this team. Uh, I mean, just just the Denver game, seeing them pass the ball around the way they did with Derek White, seeing their swarming defense, and there were there were you know things that were bothersome in that game, but uh, but but I like what I'm seeing so far. All right. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or at Mike Minkoff NBA uh, or at Coach Motenko NBA on Twitter. I am not on Twitter. If you've listened this far, you are a part of Celtics Pride. 